Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to talk to you today about stopping short. And I believe this message is for all of us. In fact, for some of you, you're tired, you're worn out, you're exhausted. And this message is going to be like a breath of fresh air. It's going to breathe life into you. And you're going to walk away from this message encouraged with a newfound determination to not give up. Because here's the reality of your situation. For some of you, you were closer than you think to experiencing God's promise. God has a promise for you and you haven't received it yet, but you're oh so close. And I hope this message will just give you a little push forward. So we're in the midst of this series from the book of Joshua and the Israelites are in the process of taking their inheritance in the promised land. They're on the outskirts of a heavily fortified city called Jericho. And let me read you the passage up front here, and then we'll double back and talk through it together, okay? So here we go. This is Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, this is kind of crazy here, isn't it? They haven't even done anything yet, and God is talking in the past tense. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. He's saying, it's done. The promise is sure. And the question we have to ask is, what do you do when what you see doesn't look at all like what God has promised? You know, when the pastor is preaching about joy and you go home depressed, when the pastor is preaching about peace and your home is full of turmoil, fighting, fussing, eye-rolling teenagers. See, that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, let's read on. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. It says, so Joshua, son of Nun, okay, he's the only man in the Bible other than Adam and Eve who didn't have parents because he's the son of Nun, okay? I know, that was bad. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now here's our key point today. People, don't stop short. Don't stop short. God's power and God's victory didn't happen the first time around or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth, did it? It was a process. And some of you, I know you're listening to my message and you've been marching for a long time. You're worn out, confused, frustrated. And I'm here to tell you, this is an encouraging message today. And my encouragement is this, don't stop short. Like don't stop on six. Because if you get just one more lap, the promises are right there. I've been in ministry for 30 years now. Let me tell you something. What used to impress me doesn't impress me anymore. It used to impress me when someone had the faith to start something, but not anymore. Now what impresses me is when someone has the fortitude to finish it. It's not the faith to start that gets my attention. It's the fortitude to finish and for so many Christians, there are promises of God that belong to them, but they're not yet possessed. That's because they're not automatic. And there are three things that cause God's people to stop short of God's promises. We find these three things in this passage in Joshua where they're about to claim the promise of Jericho. But we're talking about your own personal Jericho this morning. Did you know that if you're a Christian, God has promised you every spiritual blessing in Christ? Ephesians 1.3 says, Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now that doesn't mean you possess them all. And it's a process to experience those blessings in our lives. And I believe there are three things that cause God's people to stop short of God's promises. So let's walk through these together here. First of all, what can happen is your perspective gets blocked your perspective gets blocked. There is often a problem between God's promise and us claiming it. And that was the case here. You know, the Bible says the gates of Jericho were securely barred. Now that can sound discouraging and depressing. Like there's no way I'm shut out. It can be a downer unless you know the whole story. See, the Bible says the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. People, if something is tightly shut in your life, it may not be a sign you're not getting in, but that the enemy is trying to keep you locked out. See, Jericho was locked down because they were afraid of the Israelites. They heard about what God had done. And some of the stuff you're scared of, it's just a sign that the enemy is scared of you. It's not a sign you're not getting in. It's a sign the devil is getting desperate because he knows he can't keep you out much longer. So you've just got to change your perspective. Now the enemy is always whispering lies to you. 
Like, like, who do you think you are? I mean, thinking you can get into college? No, no way. You're not smart enough. Even if you get there, you'll, you'll never graduate. Nobody in your family was smart enough to finish college. You can't do it. Or you're never going to lose weight. You've been battling this your whole life. Who do you think you're kidding? It's just who you are. Your mama was overweight. Your grandma was overweight. You're overweight. You know, it's just DNA. You can't go to the gym. I mean, people will stare at you. Who do you think you are? Don't even try. People, don't stop short just because it looks like you're locked down. Just because it looks too difficult. See, your perspective is just blocked. And the reality is it may be a sign that the enemy is scared, that you're getting close, that you're on the sixth lap around. So don't stop short of God's promises because the problem looks insurmountable. All right, so some Christians stop short of God's promises because their perspective is blocked. But another reason we may stop short is because your progress isn't always obvious. Now, this is a biggie. Why? Because it's hard to keep going when you don't see any progress in life, isn't it? It's hard to keep going when it seems like it's not making a difference. It's hard to go forward when it looks like you haven't even moved off the mark or it looks like you've gone backwards, right? So they have this big wall in front of them, Jericho, and the wall is a problem. It is six feet wide. That's a big problem right there. And nothing happens to the wall for six days straight. According to verse five, the wall doesn't collapse at all until the seventh day. Like no bricks fell during the first six days. Now, if I was devising the plan, I would have at least chucked them a bone. Like on day one, a few bricks fall down. Day two, a few more, something, right? I mean, we want to see something. We need to see something. But God says it doesn't work that way. You know, in God's economy, nothing is going to move for a long time. And doesn't it feel that way in our lives as well? It feels that way when you're raising kids. Like, when are they ever going to learn this lesson? When you're praying, is my prayer even being heard? It's been years and no answer, nothing. When you're trying to get your finances in order, you know, we've been sticking to this tight budget for months now, and it seems like all this crazy extra stuff keeps draining our funds. A, a flat tire here, transmission fails, unexpected medical bills. Like, what the heck, God? God says, you're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, we know the end of this story, don't we? Spoiler alert, the walls fall down and they win the battle. Joshua fought the battle of the Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. See, we know what happens, right? There's shouting, the walls collapse, there's a big after party, bottles popping, chest bumps, it's all good. But they don't know that, not in the moment. They've gone six laps over the course of six days and then six more laps on the final day. It's about an hour per lap. So that's some good cardio, but nothing happens. Zilch, zero, nada. And here's God's MO. You ready for this? Walk it out, even when it doesn't work out. The question before you is this, will you do God's will even when it doesn't work? Will you forgive when they don't return the favor? Will you keep praying when you see nothing happening? You know, if every prayer was answered in that moment, that would be easy, wouldn't it? I mean, are you kidding me? If that was the case, I'd be praying all the time. I'd be bumping into telephone poles because I'm so busy praying. But God wants to know, will you still pray when the answer isn't obvious? Here's the deal. Just because progress isn't obvious doesn't mean it's not working. 
Keep walking and walking and walking. Will you keep going or will you stop? Walk it out even when it doesn't work out. God says, I I don't want you to know that it's working because there's a deeper work I want to do with you. I want you to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. I want you to realize it's all about me, God says. It's the old saying, outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. Now, if you think about the situation in Jericho, that plan seems utterly ridiculous. I mean, this is not a military strategy at all. It makes no sense, humanly speaking. I think that's why God told Joshua earlier, you've already won the battle, Joshua. It's past tense. The reason God wants him to know that is because he's getting ready to give him a battle plan that doesn't make any sense. He's going to give him a plan that if he uses military logic, he's going to think something's wrong with the Lord. And if we were to tell the truth, we would have to admit that there are times when God doesn't look like he knows what he's talking about. Am I right? God says, the victory's yours, but you're going to have to operate according to my rules. So even though God has already done what God has done, for you to experience what he's done, his promises, it requires you to do it his way. And there's a great spiritual principle here. You know, the priests are going out with ram's horns, the trumpets, and they're walking around the city. They're looking like fools, actually, because they're just walking around a city. They're not saying anything. But what they're doing is they're enveloping the city spiritually. It's a physical problem. Walls, Jericho, people. It's a physical problem, but it's a spiritual approach. You see the principle here? There's a spiritual approach to a physical problem. And the two don't seem to relate to one another. But God is saying, I want you to completely fulfill my spiritual instructions so that I might bring down your problem without your human effort and without your military background. This is one of those times when the battle belongs to the Lord. And God says, you have to follow my instructions, even though it seems weird. Okay, let me read you Joshua 6, 6 to 11 again here. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word. <laughs> Sometimes the best strategy in life is to simply shut up and march. Just shut up and march. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Now, I want you to notice here what Joshua did not tell the leaders. He didn't tell them how long they'd have to do it. Now, Joshua knew, right? God told him six days, and then we're about to kick some Jericho. We're about to win the Lord's battle. Joshua knew it, but notice Joshua didn't tell them how long it was going to take. And don't we have that same angst in life? Like, wouldn't it be nice 
if life would let you know how many more laps you had in the race? We don't know. And neither did they. Now, I want you to try to imagine what it was like to be a soldier in Joshua's army. I mean, imagine you went out every day with your sword, your armor on, and you marched around the city and then went home. (laughs) And you walk in the door and your wife says, so how was your day? Tell me about it. And every married man knows the translation of when your wife says, so how was your day? The translation is, open up your soul and tell me every detail of everything that happened to you today and what you thought about it. And then ask me about my day and listen attentively for the next hour and a half because this is not gonna be a multiple choice question. This is not true or false. This is an essay and the time limit is unlimited. So settle in because I've got some stuff to say, right? So imagine you're a soldier, you come home that first day and you hear, so how was it today, honey? Uh, It was all right. Yeah? So who did you kill? Did did you get him? No, not exactly. Um, I think Joshua kind of wants to get a vision. He's scouting it out. It's like preseason, right? We're not exactly hitting yet. We're just kind of like, yeah, we've walked around the city. You, you walked around the city? Then what? Uh, cooled down, came home. And, and then the next verse talks about the same thing on the second day. Now, it's one thing to do this for a day. They did it for six. So the second day, you come home. So honey, how was it today? Who'd you kill, my big hunking warrior? Come on, you got a souvenir? Tell me about it. And you put your head down and say, well, we kind of walked again. Right? It just keeps going. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And what's worse, they had no idea how many days they had left. I mean, this could go on forever for all they knew. And in that part of the frustration in life, when you're in the midst of a problem and you don't know how long it's going to last, And people tell you to hang on. There's light at the end of the tunnel. The sun will come out tomorrow. But you've been walking and walking and walking. There's no sunshine. Feels like there's no progress, no end in sight. You ever worked out with a trainer who withheld information from you? Like you don't know how many more reps they want you to lift. And they keep saying, okay, give me one more. You're like, good, one more. Great, one more. You know what I'm talking about? Or a trainer who likes to do timed exercises, but they won't tell you how much longer you have. It's irritating, isn't it? Let me give you a little personal illustration here. Many of you know that I love lifting weights, right? But I hate doing any form of cardio. So for years, I just avoided it like the plague. But after years and years of lifting weights, I got to the point where I was kind of muscled up, but my heart was like, "Uh uh-uh, we can't pump blood to those muscles, buddy. So I looked in better shape than I was. And after a while, I would get winded just walking uphill for 20, 30 seconds. And one day, a friend of mine just called me out, said, hey, muscle man, you're not going to be around to see your grandkids if you don't start doing some cardio. Well, I got my attention. I said, okay, I need to do something. I'm going to take up running, which like every other form of cardio, I absolutely hate. And I'm not going to name names, but I had a certain someone who agreed to train me to run. Now, I was starting from square one because literally the longest I ever ran in my life, probably a mile in high school because I had to for PE. I think I even walked part of that. 
So I had never really run much. I hated running. And this person loved running. So I'm not sure which was worse, how much I hated running or the big smile on my trainer's face while we were running. Well, to make a longer story shorter, okay, one of the techniques for training me was to do what's called interval training. Okay, this is where you run for a while and then you walk and then you run again and then you walk again. That's interval training. But I would never be told how much longer I had to run before I got to walk again. And do you have any idea how irritating that is? Where all you hear is, come on, you're, you're almost there, you're almost there. And you press on, press on for what seems like an eternity. And finally, you, you gasp about how much longer? You're, you're almost there, you're almost there. And I'm thinking, right, you big fat liar. You said that like eight hours ago. And during those stretches of running, I had some of the least spiritual thoughts of my life. I began to understand what Jesus meant when he said anger could easily turn to murder. And eventually I just insisted I'm not going to run again unless I'm given an exact number of minutes or seconds that I have left. And folks, this is what had to be happening right here. Like they're going round and round. It's like, Joshua, what the heck, bro? When is this going to be over? This is madness. But isn't this just like life? Life doesn't tell you how much longer you have, does it? So you march, you march through life, you wonder, you wonder, and you just want to know, how many laps do I have left? I need to know when it's going to stop hurting. I need to know when I can breathe again. I can keep my head up if I just know where the other side is. And that brings us to the third reason we're tempted to stop short. The process is open-ended. One reason people stop it's because the process is open-ended. They don't know if it's ever going to end. The soldiers didn't know, and we don't know, do we? We don't. It makes it tough. I mean, we want to know how close are we to that finish line, but we don't, and we won't until we get there. You know, it would be one thing if life was like NASCAR, where you know how many laps you have left. In NASCAR, they get a little indicator of how many laps remain. And not only that, but when they're coming around for the final lap, they hold up a big white flag on that final lap. We don't get that white flag, do we? And because of that, you know what we do sometimes? Sometimes we throw up the white flag. We surrender. We give up. Not knowing that just around the corner is the finish line. Sad, but I see Christians do it all the time. They're about to receive the promise and they stall out. They stop running. They stop moving altogether. People, the reason you can't stop is you might be on lap six and not know it. Sometimes we stop on six. We stop on six. Don't stop on six, people. Don't stop short. It wouldn't be a shame to bail out when you're just this close, this close to victory. You can't stop short. Don't let your emotions get to you. Don't let people talk you out of it. I mean, this message is for all of you people who are walking in circles and you're wondering, how much longer am I going to have to keep this up? How many more nights must I be single while all my friends are getting married? How much longer do I have to fight this addiction? I can't seem to get God's promised victory over this sin. Like, how much longer do I fight for this hopeless marriage? It's a waste. He's not changing. I'm about to wave my flag. I know the questions we ask. Questions like, God, why not just knock down the walls on the first lap? 
Wouldn't that be more efficient? God says, not until you've taken six laps. Because when you get inside your promise, I need you to know without a doubt that I brought you there. Otherwise, you'll get inside the walls and think you did it. And you'll miss everything I had to teach you about faith in me. See, that's what it takes to claim the promises of God. Faith. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Let me leave you with this. Don't stop short. You don't know, this might be your seventh lap. Keep trusting God. Keep believing. Keep walking. You can't walk, crawl. But whatever you do, don't give up. Don't stop short. This might be the time. Say, but what if it's not the time yet? What if it's not the time? Well, here's my advice to you. Act like every lap is your last. And one day, you'll be right. Pray with me. Lord, my prayer for my brothers and sisters, whatever the challenge is, wherever they're weary and they're worn out and they're feeling like they're just going in circles, I pray that they would not stop short, that they wouldn't give up. If they've lost the strength to walk like the person who collapses right before the finish line in a marathon, that they would crawl. They would do whatever they need to to keep going. Lord, we know our perspective often gets blocked. Progress isn't always obvious. The process seems open-ended and we're so tempted to give up. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength to not stop short. That we would act like every lap is our last lap. So that one day, one day if we do that, we'll be right. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.